So we'll, we'll pick up at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. Paul is talking about the specific use of the gifts of the Spirit uh, in the church and outside the church. And how, more or less, I should say, uh, how they function in the life of a believer proper. Um, so these things are not left to uh, just our interpretation. The, the scripture gives us very specific guidelines. And you think about uh, the way that uh, all throughout history, believers take uh, different things recorded in the word of God and then they behave with them in ways that the Lord does not endorse so that you get to uh, Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount and he's having to say over and over again, You've heard it said, and he gives a common explanation as to what is believed and thought and taught and done amongst believers. But then he concludes by saying, but I say unto you, and he gives the correction. You have the broad uh, correction from Jesus that says, you know, he's speaking to the religious leaders when he says, uh, you have many traditions that you follow that nullify the word of God. And he even says, and many such things you do. So then you come to uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the New Testament church, and immediately they begin to do things that are outside the parameters of God's design. And it's arguable as to whether they are even the gifts of the Spirit being demonstrated. But, um, you know, for a large part, we can just leave them as they are, in fact, the gifts of the Spirit, but they're being used improperly inside the church and outside the church by those who claim to be believers. So Paul's in the process of giving some very specific instructions. And in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, Even so, since you are zealous... For spiritual gifts, and again, gifts is in italics. It's the idea of having the spirituals or having that which is of the spirit. We, we call it spiritual gifts. You know, we can see based upon your behavior that you're you know, zealous for spiritual gifts. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So the motivating uh, factor for those who insist they have gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, all of those things you're talking about, needs to be, must be. I mean, that's like litmus test. If you can identify this person is actually motivated by money, greed, you know, then it's not. Uh, regardless of what's going on, it's not. It, many documentaries uh, about those who claim to be healers, Benny Hinn, uh, you know, Todd Bentley, uh, you can see there's uh, a great movie called The Many Faces of Benny Hinn and all of the things that he teaches falsely about his uh, you know, gifts and capabilities. In that, they document his claims to have healed a woman, she subsequently passes away from the cancer that he supposedly 
healed her up, much like the supposed prophet we were just talking about. Um, you know, then you know he points back to uh, you know I I said if if you know he he, he leaves uh, the lack of healing as her responsibility, not his. Uh, so um, you know, the the motivation needs to be the building up of the church that anyone would seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a pr tongue pray that he may interpret again in a language. He who speaks in a language. Uh, this is not just babbling one word or one phrase over and over again. It's someone who speaks in a language that those who are listening don't understand. Pray that you may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now that's that's important to recognize because uh, Paul's going to talk about how we can pray and never understand, and that is spiritual, but the qualification that he sets upon it is in the congregational meeting. If you're in a church service and you're going to speak in tongues, it needs to be that there would be interpretation for the body of believers that are there. You know, if you're going to pray in a tongue and there's not going to be any interpretation, then that needs to be kept to yourself. And he says, you may not understand. You know, I had a discussion with a man who was saying that it's unbiblical to pray in tongues if you don't understand. He's, he's just trapped in the discussion. He's just trapped in his doubt and the idea of it can't possibly be from the Lord if I don't understand what I'm saying. And I'm saying to him, well, I mean, you might get up and walk across the room because the Lord led you to and speak to somebody and share a verse with them. I don't think that would offend you. And he, he openly said, no. I said, well, how in the world could you understand that it was going to have application to their life without simply trusting the Lord. So this idea of insisting I must have understanding, that doesn't fit in this context. You know, for the church, there should be an interpretation so that there would be understanding. So in that discussion, he's talking about for the benefit of the church. So you start to see especially here, the discussion between the personal experience and the congregational meeting of the church start to take on different behaviors. When you are experiencing the working of the Holy Spirit all on your own, you might have any number of different things that are described here. Within the congregational meeting where believers come together, needs to be, must be interpretation. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with understanding, implying that you can sing in tongues. So, you know, I, I've had Christians who don't believe in the gifts have experienced someone doing that and they've come back to me upset saying, you know, they're even over there singing and tongues trying to say that's of the Spirit. It might have been. Uh, you know, there should be 
interpretation with it, and we're going to see it shouldn't happen in public you know, amongst unbelievers. So now if you're listening to Kim Walker singing on their uh, Jesus Culture album, and Kim is singing in tongues, and they recorded it and distributed it to the whole world, Guess what? You're in violation of the word of God. I'm not even saying whether it's legitimate or not legitimate. Paul says don't do that. There are things that should not be done. So, how is it then? Oh, uh, I, I moved over to the wrong page. So, verse 15 again. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at the giving of thanks, since he does not understand what he says? One more time, Paul is implying that the person who is speaking in tongues is speaking to God. Right there he says... The person, otherwise, he who blesses the Spirit, uh, how will the uninformed say amen at your giving thanks? So the speaking in tongues, one more time, is described as speaking to God, you know, about God. You can't say amen if you don't know what was said. Um, I guess it's sort of a foolish illustration, but it for me it fits in here. Maybe it'll lend some understanding to you. I, I had a friend who was present at a Pentecostal worship service, and um, they're singing in tongues, and uh, it's pretty wild and out of control. And uh, one of the things that is going on is uh, the, there's not much leadership to the music service. Uh, People will just begin to sing, and uh, the um, the organ player is very skilled, and the uh, piano player, electric keyboard, is able to just fall in to where they are. Imagine the, the pressure there, Susan, and, and you know, uh, you know, hearing the key and just being able to match and jump right in with a song. So you know, they'll start playing. You know, to whatever degree the band can join, they join in. And now the whole congregation will build up and, you know, they'll quiet it down. And then somebody else will build up. And it's it's kind of out of control. And it's just, you know, it's no wonder their church services were three and four hours at a time, for real. And people think I'm long-winded. So, you know, you know they're going on and on with this. And, and a couple times it's died down. And there's been, you know, singing in tongues. And, I mean, how do you, you know, join in with that? You don't even know what's being said. And. Uh, you know, so they'll just do what's called padding, just sort of find uh, the key that's being sung in and just hold a note or two and let that go on. It's settled down. And then over in the corner, uh, this uh, song begins and the group gathers in and they start to play. And then everybody realizes that someone way back there has started Singing, they'll be coming around They'll be coming around and a building up there. It's really coming out of no way. Okay, so they just die off into, you know, we're not in elementary school music class singing the round songs. 
uh, let's get back to worship. The lack of leadership led them into chaos. You know, God is not the author of confusion. And Paul, again, you know, verse 40 of this chapter, let all things be done decently and in order. Okay, so the, the structure Paul is putting here needs to be strictly obeyed. You know, if we're filled with the Spirit, we have the gift of tongues, prophecy, whatever it might be, this is the place to put yourself through school and study and learn and know how to behave with these things. You know, you're zealous to have the gifts of the Spirit. You want to see these things used in your life. Needs to be according to the guidelines that are laid out right here. So again, praying with understanding, uh, you know, better so that people can say amen and know what they're saying. You know, the term amen means so be it. So uh, how can you say so be it if you have no idea what was said? Needs to be that there would be interpretation. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. You're speaking in tongues and giving thanks, further confirmation, speaking to God, not the people in the room. Okay, good. You're giving thanks. Great, that's wonderful. But the other is not edified, built up. They don't actually know what was said. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So he's endorsing uh, the speaking in tongues. Yet in the church, and see, there's the qualification so many people miss. In the congregation, when the church is gathered together. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue, a language. Brethren, do not children, uh, excuse me, be not children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. So it, it's a commandment where he's implying that to behave in such ways is immature and that you need to, rather than being immature, conduct yourselves in ways that are, you know, more adult and more mature. Uh, do not be uh, filled with malice. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me. So, taken from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, uh, the, the Lord is speaking and showing his wonderful works to the people, and yet they're not listening. Um, think about how the day that Paul, or excuse me, Peter, uh, delivered that message at Pentecost, and thousands came to the Lord, and yet, not only is there a great rebellion against that, but more significantly now, the church at Corinth in this setting has become infatuated with the gifts and they're self-indulgent. You know, he, he began this discussion with the fact that at their communion services, one person's getting drunk and you know, filling themselves gluttonously while someone else 
is literally starving to death right in their midst. And then he carries over into, and I even hear this nonsense is going on. So how is it that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, which was literally the inspiration for Jesus emptying himself, becoming selfless, coming to the earth to be the servant of all mankind, and yet your motivation in speaking in tongues is, hey, everybody look at me. This, this is, he's saying this clearly is not, uh, you know, brought forward by the Holy Spirit. It's brought forward by your selfishness for recognition. So within the church, you know, yeah, speaking in tongues. And yet, you, you clearly are demonstrating you don't have the character of God. If you're filled with God's Spirit, you're going to have the character of God. The selfless servant is going to come shining through. You're, you're claiming that a woman come here on a weekday, wanted to, really aggressive, I knew it was going to be bad. She's angry, wants to know for a spirit-filled church. Just, I mean, that description alone tells you. She's angry, she's aggressive, she wants to know if we're a spirit-filled church. And I give her a brief overview of this, saying, absolutely, you know, we we do endorse and use the Holy Spirit. Well, she shows up Sunday morning in her sports car, and, uh, oh man, you could smell the perfume coming from like 100 feet away. Just uh, no exaggeration at all. Uh, just like make your eyes sting. And uh, I, I'm not exaggerating it, not even in the slightest. Uh, you know, huge hat, big flowers on the hat, just gaudy jewelry. And, uh, you know, we're all here in our humble Levi's and Carhartt's and T-shirts. And she's in our midst. And uh, we have a song service, which uh, I'll, I'll say openly was uh, a little clunky. That morning, because uh, she's in our midst, uh, over singing everyone in the room, and uh, so the band's a little intimidated by. And, and, and how about this? The wall was right here, you guys. The entire auditorium was from right here to that wall. Over there. so even smaller room, even smaller group, and there's no denying she's in the room and wanting her presence to be known. And uh, we finish the song service and take a moment to greet one another and she's banging around and then out back and as she storms out the door shouts very loudly this place is not filled with the holy spirit and out in her car uh, literally squealing the tire slinging rocks and gravel as whoosh gone you know because she's filled with the holy spirit <laughs> Right? You know, but see, this is how deceived some people are. You know, I, I can pretty much assume, you can pretty much assume what she wanted and wanted to see and wanted to experience and what she wanted to, you know, have and what she, what she wanted. Not what the Holy Spirit wanted, not what the Holy Spirit was doing. An individual came in here completely motivated by self. And, you know, in anger, went out the door telling us all, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet your motivation is self. 
This is exactly what Paul is saying. Is how can it be? I'm speaking to you with foreign languages, and you don't get the point. My character is not being seen in you, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. This will be a little confusing for you, but we'll slow it down, take it apart, put it back together. Ready? Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not uh, for unbelievers, but those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So, within the church, speaking in tongues is done so much that when you read this, tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. A lot of the church is left going, well, how can that be? That doesn't make any sense. Biblically, Acts chapter 2, when they spoke in tongues, the people who were drawn to the experience and, let's be clear, converted by the experience were not believers. They, they had come to worship God, but not Jesus Christ. They're, they're there for Pentecost, but they aren't believers in Jesus. Now they hear the glorious works of God, we can assume to some degree talking about Jesus and the fulfillment of what has just transpired with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven as the apostles are gathered together and filled with the Spirit and now speaking in tongues. Okay? They're speaking in foreign languages, and the men from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah at the Jewish temple are now hearing the wondrous works of God. And in the end, they're saying, what do we do, Paul? Uh, excuse me, I keep saying Paul, but Peter says, you know, repent and be baptized. And they knew 3,000 of them come to know the Lord that day. The unbelievers are brought to salvation through the believers speaking to them in tongues. That, that's the, the truest sense of how tongues are to be used by the church. Now move into prophecy. You know, well, prophecy is for unbelievers. That almost seems reversed in, in our experiential way of thinking. Like, you know, don't, isn't it only Christians that speak in tongues? Like, I've seen the movies, I've been in the church services, and, you know, I find this like a very comforting explanation to where it's gone wrong and how it should be done right. So, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, uh, we uh, did a series of teachings on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Big circle in this room, sat here, studied, it was like nine years ago, I think now. And uh, in particular, a number of people were baptized in the Spirit, and a couple of people spoke in tongues, and a handful of people prophesied during that period of time. Amongst them, I, I know he's going to be so embarrassed that I said this, but 
Welcome to the ministry, Rob. So, um, uh, Rob Power was here. And uh, I think he'll openly admit he, he wasn't really walking with the Lord uh, that strongly at that time. But he wanted to know, and he's here. And uh, if I'm making you uncomfortable by talking about Rob, Rob has started a, an addiction support group Bible study in this church on uh, Friday nights. He's part of this ministry now. So I'm, I'm beating him up because he's working with us now. So uh, he was here, and uh, he was in the process of coming to the Lord. And he was in those meetings, and he was learning, and he was growing. And uh, on one particular evening, a number of people really latched onto what the Lord was speaking to them about prophecy. And more than anything, the message was that people needed to grow up and stop depending on things and learn how to depend upon the Lord. That was the overwhelming message of what was being relayed. It was so detailed in the discussion that well on into the service, Rob just springs out of his chair and darts out of the room. And he tells me later, I just had to leave because everything those people were saying were exactly to the word what I was dealing with in my life at that time to the point that the very things I'm thinking, someone says something, I doubt the next person is literally speaking my doubts out loud. And he said, I was petrified that they were going to begin to confess my sins out loud. And I just needed to leave the room. Even if it was going to happen, I needed to leave the room so that I wasn't there while someone else was confessing my sins. That's what's being said right here. For those who believe, you, know, you, you come in and here's an unbeliever. Right? The believers are gathered together. An unbeliever in their midst. Prophecy, real prophecy, will be deeply convicting to them. You know, how, how is tongues used? It converts by speaking in their language the works of God and drawing them in. That's how it occurred in Acts. I've talked to three different missionaries who were on the mission field filled with the Spirit, uh, speaking through the interpreter, got very zealous in communicating, and people surrender their lives to the Lord, and afterwards the interpreter is saying, like, why didn't you just tell me you could speak the native tongue? In the process of being filled with the Spirit, they come to a place where they no longer need the interpreter. They're speaking directly to the people. Don't even realize it. This working of the Holy Spirit, though it may be rare, and to a degree I understand what is being interpreted about how tongues will diminish and come to an end, but there still is use for it today. Unfortunately, a lot of what's going on is the abuse of it today, and it's not serving any purpose in the church. We can conclusively take from this that if you're in a church where people are filled with the Spirit and you've got a gathering of believers, 
if no one is there interpreting the tongue that is being spoken, then speaking in tongues should not be occurring. If the church wants to be filled with this, you're seeking this excitement, you've got this zealousness, as it says in verse 12, to have, then you should be asking the Lord for prophecy, word of knowledge, to just know, uh, you know, a specific thing that needs to be said to an individual or a group of people. Again, foretelling or foretelling, speaking on behalf of God. That's that's not going to be like the indecisiveness of that quick video we watched, where somebody said, "I had a dream. I think this might be God. I'm not sure if this was from God. I could be totally wrong. You don't want to put any stake on. Take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. That's not how prophets function." Prophets function by saying, hey, I've heard something from the Lord, and I'm here to deliver it to you. Now, here, you may not like it, but here it is. And, and here's the message that you need to listen to. So, uh, you know, this, this statement here, especially this last section from verse 20, or yeah, verse 20 down to verse 25, I think is a, a significant marker as to how to, you know, step-by-step step know how these these two particular gifts should be used in the congregational meeting of the church. Now, outside uh, the church, uh, tongues might have a, a, an actual a greater use, like uh, 3.8 million visitors uh, a year come to Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park prior to you know, COVID-19. So, um, they come from all over the world. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and you can speak in tongues. You might want to head down to the village green and just start flapping your gums. Maybe somebody there can understand what you're saying and you'll be able to talk to them about the Lord. Instead, they go to places that actually Paul says don't do this. They go into the churches and speak in tongues and there's no interpretation. Follow what he says next, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for building up, rather than self-exaltation is what he's implying. We'll see how he uh, clarifies that. If anyone speaks in a tongue, that, that implies it may not happen, Right? Because, because you know, in their meeting, everyone knows. Everyone speaks in tongues. He's saying, okay, Pentecostal meeting, Pentecostal church, you get together. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. Okay, well, there's a pretty surefire checklist, right? I mean, you can pretty much, you know, like set up the bullet point, uh, you know, clipboard right there. Oh, there's one, you know, check mark two. Okay, two. Okay, three, three of us have spoken. You know what? Everybody else in the church doesn't do that. Any of us that have been in those settings know, right? It's just going and going and going. He's saying when you come together, if, if, qualification, if anyone speaks in the tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn. Oh, yeah, no, literally, don't be shouting in tongues over the top of one another. How is this chapter missed? How is this chapter missed by the church? 
if you're going to speak in tongues, three people max, and it needs to be that you're taking your turns, one after another. Let someone speak in tongues, and, and then follow this. If anyone speaks in the tongue, two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. Uh, that's a broad sense. That could be that let the one who speaks in tongues also interpret, or if you have someone there that's capable of interpreting, let them interpret the tongue for the congregation, which implies the Greek structure here. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. Next, oh, okay, speaking in tongues, okay, and interpretation of tongues. Okay, and next, okay, and speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and there, we've had enough of an experience of speaking in tongues, and now we move on. Instead, melee. It's just, you know, put the Holy Spirit in a blender and just let the pieces fly. And that's not how it's supposed to be done at all. It needs to be done decently. But if there is interpretation, let him, if there is no interpretation, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak uh, to himself and to God silently. Not even boisterously to himself. Let him be quiet enough to where it's not a disruption. You know, you know. So very often, as people do this, they want to make sure that at least the circle immediately around them is very aware they're speaking in tongues. You're speaking in tongues. Speak to yourself. You know, do, do you do you pray out loud in? Your native tongue loud enough for people around you to hear? That That's confusing enough. When everyone in the room is praying at the same time and all you hear is that jumbled up murmur, okay, I guess you, know, you can be blessed by that to know everyone in this room is lifting their heart to God. Okay, I'm you know, not objectionable to that. But that's not how it's commonly being done. The people who are speaking in tongues in these settings so very often want to make sure everybody knows I can speak in tongues and here I am being boisterous enough for everybody to identify the fact that I'm speaking in tongues. And I'll pause right here for the personal note again. I pray in tongues. I'm very confident no one in this room has ever heard me pray in tongues. I'm very confident of that. But I pray in tongues. I have prayed in tongues today on my own between me and the Lord. This is an abuse within the church that does not build the church up more than anything, right? Just had a conversation with a guy this morning about what the Lord is doing in his wife's life. Wonderful work as the Lord right now. We both were able to sit and praise God together in my office this morning over the work the Lord is doing in his wife's life. Unfortunately, it's been set back. Because the Lord began doing the work months ago, and they were invited to a church where this is what she experienced. And she walked out of that church saying, please don't ever ask me to go to church with you again. And they've gone through enough months, the Lord really is doing something that she's starting to perhaps consider that she might come here. And we pray. But the very thing, think about this, Paul is literally warning them, 
if you're all doing this stuff, an unbeliever is going to come into your midst and they're going to think you're crazy. Who wants to associate themselves with crazy? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, in my religion, we're crazy. In our church, we're crazy. I like to be thought of as being crazy. That's going to drive a deeper wedge. Oh, that sounds like the tactic of my enemy. To maybe even take someone who's filled with the Spirit and make them misbehave in a way that's outside God's design. And I've got arguments about whether they're even filled with the Spirit, but, but let's just say for the sake of argument that they are, but now they're not following the rules, and as a result, they're driving people away from Christ rather than drawing them to Christ. So, further explanation here. Uh, no, if there's no interpretation, let him keep silent in the church. Listen, that's not the one time. Like, each week you show up, like, try it out. Speak in tongues. See if anybody can interpret. It's the overall sense of, hey, church at Corinth, since you don't have anybody that interprets there, you shouldn't be speaking in tongues in your services. Right? So, so imagine this. We're sitting here tonight, right? And, and Oliver back there starts speaking in French. And we're all like, well, that's odd. But he finishes up with that. And, and Mark says, oh, well, I actually was raised in Canada. And I know what Oliver said. So let me tell you. And then he tells us, and, oh, you know, the awkwardness sort of goes away, you know, now that we've had the interpretation. But if you show up week after week and there's no interpretation, but every week Oliver just starts talking in French, it's going to feel very weird. That's exactly what Paul is saying. If there's no interpretation, keep silent. Why? You're not doing anything to build the church up. You're creating a chaos. You're creating confusion within the church. It's a very straightforward understanding. Then he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So at the most, two should prophesy to the church. And then with that, let the others judge. Who are the others? The others who are capable of interpreting prophecy within the church. Those who are prophets themselves, or at least mature enough to say not prophecy. Just before we began, Cheryl said to me, oh, I sent you a thing, I had missed it. I don't check Facebook Messenger very often. And it's this guy who's had these dreams that he is saying he believes to be prophetic. And he goes through a series of explanations, which I've sort of touched on, where he gives himself all kinds of out. Saying, you know, this might not be, you just take it with a grain of salt, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, I'm just... But everything he says is presented in such a way that you... I mean, he's, he's predicting uh, the riots, he's predicting, and he goes into November about how the elections are going to transpire. And, I mean, if you listen to this guy... And believe what he's saying, you'd leave tonight and be pretty scared about the picture that he's painting for the future, right? What did we talk about last week regarding what prophecy does in the body of Christ, right? It cheers up 
builds up, lifts up the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't hear prophecy and walk away going, oh no! <laughs> you know, no matter how dramatic it may be, you read the book of Revelation and you're left going, well, I mean, one quarter of the world's population is wiped out in that first three and a half years, but hey, I'm on the winning team. You know what I'm saying? You're not filled with fear and intrepidation through the process. To which I can say, not a prophet. Having heard the prophecy, I'll tell you now as a congregation, not a prophet. That, that guy's message, I don't care how much of it comes true. He hasn't been sent by the Lord to minister to the body of Christ on behalf of the Lord. He's got something else going on in his life. Not, not exactly sure what it is. And guess what? I don't even have to worry about what it is. I can move on and, and go to bed tonight bathing myself in the Word of God and wake up this, tomorrow morning and begin that process all over again as I move off into my day to go serve the Lord. One or two prophets and then let those who are capable of interpret. That literally means Paul is saying, hey, you guys there at the church at Corinth who know that the men who are standing up every week and saying, thus says the Lord, but you know they're wrong. How about you develop enough strength to stand up and tell the congregation that that which was just said is false? Oh, you can't do that in those settings, right? If you go to those uh, settings where this stuff is going on out of control, if you stand up and contradict the message, the ushers are going to literally usher you out the door. Because you can't speak against God's anointed. You know, they, they get all crazy about their position and their authority. The falsehood in their behavior. And now, notice here, uh, he says, two or three prophets and let others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Meaning... One prophet speaks, the next man says, uh, excuse me, that was not of the Lord because the word of God says right here, contradictory to what you said. Paul says, let the first guy that spoke that was just corrected keep his mouth shut. Do you see how these things, if we were applying this, you know, let's let's go visit a Pentecostal, let's not. Let's go visit a Pentecostal church uh, where, where this is being done out of order and see if they'll submit themselves to these guidelines in, that are clearly written in the Word of God. It gets even more detailed here. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged not to imply that at every meeting, right? He's not instantly contradicting himself, right? He just said two or three. At a service, two or three. You got something to say? At the next meeting, maybe you want to talk to the pastor. And that's another thing within this that is assumed. There's a pastor who's overseeing this service who should be guiding and steering and correcting what's going on. You know, you sat and listened. There were two or three prophets that spoke. You felt like you had something to say and didn't say anything. Speak to the pastor. 
If he hears what you've got to say, guaranteed he's going to say, that's a wonderful message from the Lord. Why don't you share that with the congregation when we meet tomorrow or Wednesday or next week? When a message comes from the Lord, those who lead a congregation are never going to be offended by it. That all may learn and all may be encouraged, right? Prophecy is going to give education and encouragement to the body of Christ. And then this statement, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That is literally saying that the prophets can control themselves. We get the impression from certain people who claim to be prophets that they can't. Oh, the spirit came upon me, and I just had to speak. And that's why I interrupted your church service. You know, you were teaching from the Bible, and I just shot up in the middle of it and said, Hey, I got something to say on behalf of the Lord. Just started blurting out my prophecy. He's literally saying, uh, you know, no, you know what? The prophets literally filled with the Holy Spirit are supposed to have self-control, right? We read, love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. Uh, you know, self-control is listed in there as a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. This idea of, oh, I couldn't control myself. The Spirit came on me and I just had to start blurting out in tongues. I just had to speak my prophecy. Uh, Paul is literally saying, no, that's not true at all. That's not my interpretation of it. That is straight out how this is written in the original language. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet in regard to one or two speaking, waiting for interpretation, and then if you know the time slot has been filled, wait until you get another occasion. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. He can control himself. So that overall attitude about being filled with the spirit is false. Right? I, I couldn't help it. I was filled with the Spirit. That's why I fell on the floor and, you know, knocked people over and was just rolling around. And, you know, I was just overwhelmed with the Spirit. No, the Spirit of the person filled with the Spirit is subject to themselves. Self-control. You can gauge and control yourself if you're filled. You might be filled with an unspeakable joy. I'll say one more time. The whole thing of being slain in the Spirit... I saw the Spirit and knocked down. The only occasions we see in the Scripture where the Holy Spirit knocks people down are murderers who are on their way to murder. And God knocks them down. That's the only time we see people getting, quote-unquote, slain in the Spirit. You're thinking, where? When? Balaam, right? Smashed by the donkey. Spirit... Angels waiting to take his head off with a sword. Uh, okay, not not close of enough of interpretation uh, for you. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane. Who you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Bang! Everybody gets knocked to the ground. Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, on his way to kill Christians and imprison them, flattened to the ground by the Holy Spirit. We do see prophets, we do see people filled with the Spirit fall down, but they always do it of their own will, and they always fall face first in worship. 
They bow death. They surrender themselves to the one they're worshiping, to the presence of the angel or the Holy Spirit or God or you know the angel of the Lord as it's described. Those that are worshipers fall down face first to worship the Lord. Uh, that would that would be intimidating to be in a room with people filled with the Spirit who suddenly, out of humility, are so overwhelmed with the presence of God that they all begin by kneeling and then just laying down face first in front of the Lord. And that's an act of humility that is rarely seen under any condition. Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I, I would encourage the church, I'm encouraging the church today, to whatever degree it is filled with the Spirit, begin to apply these things forcibly. About. They, you, know, you get the impression that to be filled with the Spirit is to be out of control. See, see that for me is drunkenness. That was the intoxication we were all looking for. Those of us that pursued those sinful things, there was a sinfulness within us that wanted to let go, wanted to forget, wanted to be out of control. At the root of that, I find rebellion. God is the God of order. The rebellion against that order is disorder. That's the opposite direction. So how would the Holy Spirit ever inspire out of order? Now consider what Paul is saying about be not drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go the opposite direction. Greater and greater control. Greater and greater understanding. Greater and greater clarity of mind. All throughout history there are men and a few women who have isolated themselves to be alone with the Lord, to seek His Spirit and gain understanding. And the things that they have come away from those experiences with are astounding. You know, there are simple examples like George Washington Carver locking himself into his laboratory to just be alone with the Lord and meditate. And that man saved our nation from financial ruin. Because the bow weevil had destroyed the cotton crops and we were going down financially. He, when he initially went into his laboratory to be alone with the Lord, he didn't even understand that he was going to be doing research on the peanut. It was just to isolate himself in prayer and fasting with the Lord. And it turned into the realization that, oh, the Lord is revealing to me that we already have a crop in the ground. The cotton had failed. They tilled the cotton into the ground and they planted peanuts. The peanuts being a legume, the nitrogen fertilizes the soil very powerfully and the root structure keeps the erosion from washing the soil away during the winter months. So the peanuts are there growing and if we could just figure out a way to harvest them and then use them in an industrial way, uh, we'll have a ready crop 
before we even get through this season. He goes into the laboratory and he comes out with thousands of industrial, but peanut butter wasn't even one of the realizations. That came much later. Okay. Uh, Carver comes out of there with thousands of chemical property uses for the peanut. And they literally go to harvest and bring that in, and the financial resource that comes from the peanut saves this nation. Isolated himself alone with the Lord uh, in, in prayer and fasting, uh, no food hear from the Lord and say the man single-handedly saved this nation. Daniel in, in Babylon seeking the Lord locks himself away for 21 days. I mean, read Daniel chapter 9 again and the prophetic message that's brought to him by the angel Gabriel. The self-control of, of closer and closer proximity to God. The discipline that's required. Not the lack of control and, and the, the just, you know, chaotic sense of insanity. Instead, greater and greater clarity and focus and seeking and understanding what it is the Lord is communicating. And boy, think about how much our nation is in need of that right now. People that would be filled with the Spirit and hear uh, with clarity. From the Lord. So the spirit of the prophet is subject uh, to the prophet. Uh, I'm going to go a little further. I know that we're already at an hour, but <clears throat> the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Not a sexist statement. Uh, simply to say that there was all kinds of disruption going on, and in particular we hear uh, that they were asking questions, because he says if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church, meaning in a disruptive way asking questions. This is going on over there, and now she's they sat separately, women on one side, men on the other. Now she's shouting across, Harold, you know, what is that all about? And now Harold's actually answering, and, and you know, which raises questions in Linda's mind. So now Linda's asking David some things, and, you, and Paul has to say, hey, I've gotten a letter from you guys. And the women are, you know, speaking out and asking if, if they've got questions. That can happen later. Uh, we need to get these church services in order. It's gotten chaotic, and we need to get away from chaotic because chaotic is not the authorship of God. At best, that's what our flesh authors. At worst, that's what Lucifer himself is authoring in the church, and that needs to stop is what he's saying. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? Listen, this is Paul reaching right out through this letter and slapping these guys right across the face, saying, oh, oh, you guys are now suddenly filled with the Spirit and teaching the rest of us how to behave in congregations. This, this is the model we should follow? So you guys were the ones that originally brought Christianity to us? I thought I was the one who delivered Christianity to you. You should be learning from me. I'm writing you the letter. You guys stop trying to tell the church how it is that you should be behaving. 
stop scribbling all over the rules and then rewriting your own method of conduct. How about you start actually looking to me and asking me, the one who delivered the faith to you, how about you let me instruct you in the way that you should be guiding yourself? Right? Because, right, where did we start in 1 Corinthians? They've rejected Paul and rejected his authority and rejected his teaching. So he's sending a letter right back to frankly smack him right upside the head and say, cut it out. You, you need to have these things under control. Uh, you know, did you uh, did the word of God come originally from you, or was it uh, you that that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Self endorsement by Paul—that's only arrogant if you're wrong, <laughs> right? He's telling them, no, the, the men that are there claiming to be prophets, if they're truly prophets, let them confirm that what I have just written to you is in fact from the Lord. Anyone who, and by such, he's also saying, anyone who contradicts what I'm saying, know that they're not from the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. He wants to deny this, and, and I'll point out again, the root word, word of ignorant is ignore. Right? Somebody wants to be ignorant of what I'm writing to you right now? Go, oh, that's fine. Let them be ignorant of what I'm saying to you. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. That, that, that is still written in my Bible. Right? For today, do not forbid to speak in tongues. If we're going to do it here in this congregation, it's going to be when believers are here, when we do not have any unbelievers here, that's going to be strictly according to what we see written here. And I would much prefer as a pastor to encourage you to seek the Lord for prophecy. You want to walk in here and say, I have a message for this church on behalf of God. I'll say, lay it on me. And when you finished, I'll let you know whether it was from the Lord or not. Not because I'm arrogant. I'll measure it according to the word of God and tell you if it lines up with the word of God. Filled with the spirit, let all things be done <clears throat> decently and in order. In contrast, Let's not have anything be done undecently and out of order. Oh, imagine the revolution that would bring to so many of the churches. Both things, both things, that those who deny the working of the Holy Spirit would embrace prophecy and speaking in tongues, and those who have no controls over their services would actually read these passages and say, hey, it would be beneficial for us in this congregation if we would get things under control and begin to minister. Because I don't doubt for one second that they're, you know, loving, sincere Christians who want to affect the world with the power of Jesus Christ. But by and large, what they're doing is driving a lot of people away who walk in, see the pandemonium, and say, no thanks. Don't want anything to do with that. If we would adhere ourselves to God's word. It is 
always of great benefit. Always. So, we'll uh, pick up with the next chapter. Uh, next week, we'll pray and close. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and the way that you minister to us. Help us to be men and women who continue to seek your wisdom and the working of your word in our lives. Watch over us, guide us, minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.